Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name. is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And indeed, it is Sandy and Sean here on Mile High Sports for this 14th day of November 2023. It was the 13th last night. Now, it wasn't Friday the 13th, I get it, but Monday the 13th, was bizarre. It was a game between the Broncos and Bills full of buffoonery and bumbling and Buffalo. I got that out, Danny Bailey. You should be impressed. That was poetic. Poetic, Very nice. right? Very, Very nice. alliterative. Bizarre game of buffoonery and bumbling in Buffalo. Now, Fortunately for the Broncos, most of the buffoonery and almost all of the bumbling belonged to the Buffalo Bills. And so the Denver Broncos escape with a much-needed 24-22 win in a game that, apart from the identity of the winner, was very much representative of of many Bronco games that have unfolded going back to November of 2016. In the last 113 games, the Broncos have been involved in dozens of games, like the one last night, where the unthinkable, the inexplicable, the improbable, the seemingly impossible took place. But just about every time over the past seven years, almost seven full years now, the Broncos have been on the losing side. 
they're not necessarily the only team that stumbles and bumbles, but they seem to be, until last night, the team that eventually crumbles and blows a game that you can't possibly lose. And instead, last night, they win a game that it seemed almost destined to lose. Right? Because going back to 2000, these numbers via True Media, teams that win the turnover battle by plus three or more, and the Broncos are plus three last night with four takeaways and just the one giveaway, they win 93% of the time. The Broncos in recent years have had plus three games that they've lost. Last night, they didn't lose. Last night, they won, giving up more than seven yards per play to the Buffalo Bills and averaging around four and a half yards per play on offense. Off those four turnovers, the Broncos scored a grand total of six points. So when it was 22-21, you're thinking it's going to happen to them again? They've played well. They've played mistake-free football. Russell Wilson has played his best game in a Bronco uniform regardless of what happened on that last drive when the Broncos are down 22-21 in the final minutes of the game, regardless of what happened. But they were still going to lose. But last night, they didn't lose. Now, the very fact that the Broncos have a three-game winning streak is not in and of itself evidence that they are back in the playoff race. And I'm not sure there is still ample evidence to suggest that they're back in the playoff race because the fact of the matter is, as we explained yesterday, even with the win last night, the Bronco position in the Western Division of the AFC did not change. They're still in last place. Their position in the American Football Conference race for one of seven playoff spots did not change last night with the win. They were still ahead of Tennessee and New England after winning, but they were also still behind via tiebreakers. The Jets, who are four and five, the Chargers, who are four and five, and, of course, every other team is five and five or better. Raiders, Buffalo now, Indianapolis all five and five, Cincinnati five and four. And then you have the playoff teams, Houston five and four, Cleveland, Pittsburgh six and three. Those are the wild card teams at the moment. And the division leaders are seven and two, Kansas City, seven and three, Baltimore, and six and three, Jacksonville, six and three, Miami. So the Broncos in the American Football Conference are still 14th out of 16 teams. And there are a whole lot of teams they have to climb over. But as of three weeks ago, 
the Broncos had not won a conference game, and that was killing them in tiebreakers. Because no one in the AFC at that point, I believe, had failed to win at least one conference game. The Broncos were the only, and the Broncos were dead last at one and five. And, you know, I suppose I should say three games rather than three weeks. Now, they beat Green Bay, but that's not an AFC win. You beat Buffalo, that's a divisional win and an AFC win. You beat Buffalo, and that is a critical, critical conference win for the Broncos, who now have two conference wins. Now, that still doesn't put them in ideal position when it comes to tiebreakers. They lose the tiebreaker to the Jets based on the fact that the Jets beat them. They have not yet played the Chargers, but they're short on divisional and conference wins, as we mentioned. And the Raiders, even a half a game ahead of the Broncos, have the tiebreaker on the Broncos right now, again, having beaten the Broncos in Denver on opening day. But there is an unmistakable vibe around this team now. And the turnaround in their defensive play is both reflected in giving up only the 22 points to a very high-powered offense. Remember back in September, they gave up 70 to the Dolphins, and it could have been more had Miami wanted to score more. The transformation of this defense from that third week of the season fiasco in Miami to where they are now coming out of week 10 is one of the most remarkable turnarounds you'll ever see by a particular group, in this case, the defense. And with the defense playing like this, the offense can afford to be as conservative, as deliberate, and frankly, in some cases, as unproductive as the Broncos were last night. Coming out of four turnovers with just six points. And even Joe Buck and Troitman, who've seen a lot of football, doing games together, First at Fox and now at ESPN on Monday Night Football. They've seen a lot. And they have seen the Broncos over the years at their worst. In fact, I'm not sure that Jack Buck, uh, I'm sorry, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have seen the Broncos win a game that they've done in recent years times. I'm not sure of that. I remember some of the games they've done that have been absolute disasters from a Broncos point of view. But their whole narrative was how the Broncos have in so many areas outplayed the Bills. Made fewer mistakes. The Bills have done everything in their power to give the Broncos the game on a silver platter. Just hand them the game. 
and Russell Wilson has already pulled a couple of rabbits out of his hat, and they're still down by a point. They're going to lose. And Lutz misses the field goal from 41 yards away, and they're going to lose until there's a flag in the end zone. 12 men on the field for Buffalo, and it's very easy to spot. And it wasn't even the first time all night it happened because the same drill happened at the end of the first half in exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. They had a, probably not quite as much time at the end of the game as they had at the end of the first half. But they ran the whole drill. Around here, it used to be called Torah, Torah, Torah. They won a game in Buffalo that way many years ago when Mike Shanahan was head coach. I guess they now call that hurricane. And they're well-drilled, the Broncos are. At the end of the first half, they got a field goal unit on the team. Heck, there were 10 seconds left as they were setting up for the field goal. Boy, they got those guys on fast. They were ready. Now, it's possible that Coach Sean Payton should have kicked the field goal with 24 seconds left when the clock was stopped. Instead of trying to run a play, they didn't have any timeouts. They had to rush the field goal team on the field. Possible that was an error on his part. But they got the field goal off comfortably and made it. But there were other parts of the kicking game last night that were not great for Denver. Lutz had missed an extra point off the left upright earlier in the game. They had fumbled a snap or mishandled a snap on another extra point. So at the end of the game, yes, they had 21 points before that final field goal. But they should have had more. They bungled two extra points. Not one, but two. But it gets the end of the game. And... Buffalo had 11 men on the field in the same kind of sequence late in the first half. And somehow, somehow, they had 12 people on the field. And it looks like Leonard Floyd was the culprit because between plays after the penalty was assessed, it was Leonard Floyd who was seen leaving the field and not being replaced. Now, Hamlin got off the field. He got off the field. Floyd was the guilty party. And, again, this is stuff teams practice. We've seen CU bedeviled by, on defense this year, having two men or not enough men, whatever, something other than 11 men on the field. And I think it cost them the Stanford game when there were multiple violations along those lines. But for an NFL team that, like most any college team, practices this stuff, they practice getting their field goal defense team, that group, that special teams group, they practice getting them on the field in rapid-fire fashion. And yet they messed it up last night. So you know what they did today? They fired the offensive coordinator. And I'm not saying there weren't 
reasons and aren't reasons to evade that move. But what did the offensive coordinator have to do with 12 men on the field? That's on the head coach, and it's certainly on the special teams coordinator. That ain't on the offensive coordinator. The head coach happens to double as the defensive coordinator, too. So if they couldn't transition from defense to field goal defense on special teams, they fire the offensive coordinator? They're third in the league in offense by the DVOA metric from Football Outsiders. They're 21st on defense and 22nd on special teams. Now, they were good on defense last night. They did a nice job on the Broncos. And Russell Wilson still made a couple of incredible plays. And Cortland Sutton, who did fumble last night, could be forgiven for that fumble. All's well that ends well, right? For the magnificent catch he made on a pass that seemed to have been thrown away. And yet, the Broncos get a touchdown. On a fourth down play, they get a touchdown. Wilson just throwing it up, basically out of bounds, and Sutton somehow finding a way to come down with the ball and keep both feet in. And Wilson had a couple of flip passes, kind of backhanded flip passes to Samaje Pirine that were out of this world good. Wilson threw one bad ball all night, and it was actually a completed pass. It was the pass to Sutton that was so low that when Sutton had to bend down to get it, again in a key down and distance situation, he was vulnerable to being hit, and as he was trying to bring the ball up and tuck it away, the ball got knocked loose, and Buffalo recovered. It was the only turnover of the game by the Broncos. The Bills had four, and probably should have had five, right? When... Cook dribbled the ball down the field for 42 yards. Such a lucky bounce. Right. So the Broncos had, yes, during the game, some bad luck. They also had some good luck. The Bills had maybe a bad break or two, but they also got a good break, certainly on that bouncing ball that went to the ground on Cook, who had already fumbled earlier in the game and had gotten mixed up on an exchange with Allen. It resulted in another lost fumble. And I guess the question is, and Sean will be with us in just a few moments, as we come to you on this Tuesday afternoon. This is Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM. You can watch or listen via milehighsports.com slash watch or slash listen. You can listen via the Mile High Sports app if you wish. Connect to us that way. Our producer, of course, our executive producer is the great Danny Bailey. And our caller text line is 303-831-1340. Question of the day, are the Broncos the worst? good team you've ever seen or are they the best bad team you've ever seen and the answer to the question at least in my opinion as to whether they're on this three game winning streak because they've won these games or their opponents have lost them 
The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. The Broncos, I will say this last night, and I'll say it again if I'm not being understood clearly enough. The Broncos deserved to win that game last night. You don't always win when you deserve to win. And the Broncos, as I said earlier in this hour, have had plenty of games that they've been deserving of better outcomes through the years, but they haven't gotten them. And that's what happens to bad teams. Even when you deserve to win, you lose. That's a, We can't win for losing. That's what that phrase means. You do everything to win, and somehow, somehow you end up losing. You miss out on two extra points. You miss a 41-yard field goal. But this time they got to try the 41-yard field goal again from 36 yards, and it went through, and all of a sudden the Broncos are 4-5, and five, and the Bills will have a bye week. If the Broncos keep winning, they will pass the Bills, either on the basis of a better record or if they're tied, this will be the tiebreaker with the Buffalo Bills. This is about as good as it's been for the Broncos this far into a season. Going all the way back to 2016. Sounds amazing to say, right? When you're four and five after nine. <laughs> that this is great position if you consider the recent history of the Denver Broncos. Sean will be with us in just a few moments. Of course, we'll talk more about the Broncos. And after Jared Bednar justifiably melted down after an 8-2 loss to the St. Louis Blues in which it seemed a vast majority of Avalanche skaters, perhaps goaltenders too, stopped playing in the third period. Well, last night, that kind of got flipped on its head. In of all places, Seattle, the team that beat the Avalanche out of the playoffs last year, four games to three. That's just ahead. Sandy and Sean, the Smile High Sports, stay with us. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Wilson sets up and spinning around to the back of the end zone. Sutton, he, the officials look at each other, no good, incomplete. 
And Cortland Sutton did not, they say, get both feet down. I don't know. <laughs> Check the toe, Joe. Boy, he's dragging that right foot. It looks good to me. Looks good to us. <laughs> we'll get the call when we come back. After reviewing the play, the runner completed the pass. Touchdown. Welcome back. I'm Sean Joto, Sandy Clough on my left. Thanks for uh, holding the fort down, Sandy. Oh, yes, uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call, and a good call it was because both suspected almost immediately yeah. that, in fact, Sutton had been able to uh, toe-tap uh, both feet in bounds. Remarkable catch. I mean, you see the play live as it's unfolding. You say, no way he caught that in bounds. But then they go to the replay. The replay instantly. And I don't believe it. it required a challenge by Sean Payton. I think they no, it did not. it on their own and came up with the right call. Spectacular throw by Wilson and perhaps an even better catch by I think Sutton a better catch. But I like the throw by Wilson but because you're you're that's what you do. It's it's in I mean, it's either it, caught by your guy. It's caught right. by your guy or it's incomplete. Well, it's four times. And, right, it's fourth down, so it doesn't. Really but but matter. it was still a comparatively safe pass. It either yeah. goes to your guy, or it's you know it's not a pick six the other way. Uh, th- that that part of this this game is, is has been so fascinating. Well, he threw two loopers last night. He did there was that one, and there was the pass to Judy that resulted in pass interference that keyed the win. Although Buffalo's having twelve men on the field, uh, obviously also, officially keyed the win, but. Yeah. You know, th- this whole idea of winning games or having games given to you, in the end, it's irrelevant. Uh, it's also immaterial as to whether you're the worst good team in the NFL or the best bad team in the NFL. You're four and you're five. You're four and five. And you're uh, still in last place in the AFC West, and you're still in 14th place in the American Football Conference. But uh, nobody else who's four and five anywhere in the NFL has a three-game winning streak. The Broncos do, and two of those wins were especially significant because they were the first two games Denver won in the AFC this year. They needed Kansas City both for divisional and conference purposes, but really for conference purposes more so than divisional purposes, even against a divisional foe. And last night, obviously, you're looking at a, a Buffalo team that right now has as many losses as the Broncos do. Right. And wow. the tiebreaker I mean, is head-to-head head competition. That. Yeah, I mean, head that's head competition is the tiebreaker. So uh, at least against Buffalo, the Broncos are in good shape. Now, uh, they're not in good shape against the Jets, for example, but, but I don't it's think hard that, for I don't me think the Jets are to in see good shape. the Jets uh, winning many more games no, because they're apparently determined to stick with Zach Wilson at quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers is on the record, even crazy Aaron Rodgers, who thinks he can come back in record time from an Achilles tear. Even Aaron Rodgers says, if we're not in contention, I ain't coming back this year. Right. There's no way. So uh, it, the win last night uh, both revealed things about this team that only the most ardent optimist could have suspected a month ago. And it also put them back in play when it comes to tiebreakers. And you have to believe tiebreakers will be in effect oh, in the this AFC year right now? Uh, when it comes really to wild card really berths, at least in the AFC playoffs. I think so. And, and you're right. It, you get it at the right time. And keep in mind, these are a couple of wins in their last three. 
over two of the three teams that I think universally were expected to come out of the AFC for the Super Bowl, the, the Chiefs, the Bills, uh, and, uh, and the Bengals, and I, I think, think were the three. Arguably the two most gifted quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, who had uh, severe uh, flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, admittedly, but still with Patrick Mahomes. And he had played at something less than his best on a, f- a few other occasions, and and still the Chiefs managed to beat the Broncos sixteen straight. Eric Eager is the head of and uh, Allen is gifted, sport. but right. Shannon Sharp pointed it out correctly he's, this morning on ESPN. Historically, it's a double-edged sword. Yep. Uh, yes, he can make throws that no other quarterback can make, perhaps in the entire league. But he also makes mistakes that very few other quarterbacks would make. He does gamble. In an area, in, in a time frame, at least in the NFL, when coaches don't really want their quarterbacks to gamble, I, you could make the argument, and we've talked about this a bit with Russell Wilson, but I think for the vast majority of quarterbacks, you could make the argument that for coaches today, avoiding turnovers is the primary job of the quarterback. I, I think we've reached a, an era of football where the yards comparatively are re- rather easy. And there is an assumption that you'll be able to, to move the football, but it's turnover avoidance that I think is now the primary situation. And you think back to uh, John Elway's days, of which I look at Josh Allen and see some similarities. I can make that throw. I'm going to do it. Well, that didn't pay off. Oh, I grew up watching a quarterback like that. His name was Joe Willie Namath. But that style of play is not what people want in the NFL. And I, I think it's fascinating to watch uh some of the way this this season has worked out because the Chiefs have not yet looked like the Chiefs, and here they are at seven and two. Wow. And yeah. I, I, I think that yeah. they're fine. Uh, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports, and I, I use some of their back. I had a chance to talk with Eric and Thomas Dimitrov. We started that back at the Super Bowl yeah, back former in back Atlanta in February, right? General manager, and I think they do some really interesting stuff. But Eager had a story, a little bit of a story today that he wrote. He pointed out that as the Vic Fangio defenses perpetuate and they perpetuate with a sole purpose of limiting the Patrick Mahomes of the world, literally. And, and Josh Allen. And Josh yeah. Allen to a certain extent. Yeah. And maybe Joe Burrow to a certain extent. Yeah. But but the handful of dangerous quarterbacks who can burn you over the top at any point in time. Defenses in the NFL today have evolved in which now there's they're calling defenses in which the objective is don't let those guys beat us over the top. Now, while that's working, and the Broncos have just shown in back-to-back games against two of those guys you you have a tough time doing it against, that it works, it's almost shocking that by limiting that style of offense, it almost shows the gap between Mahomes and every other quarterback even more clearly than it was before. And, and you, look at the, you look at the league and you look at the quarterbacking around the league and, and uh, Mahomes isn't having his best year. But I literally cannot envision any of the 32 GMs. If you were able to start over, just all the players go in a pile. There is not a single GM in this league that would not pick Patrick Mahomes uh, as uh, the single best. I mean, period. Of course. Every single team would start. He is the best right. player in football, the most important player in football. And the gap between him and the guys behind him, I think this year has increased despite the fact that defenses have been able to limit it. Yeah, you could be right. And, and I think the whole thing with Patrick Mahomes, yes, he has perhaps the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL in Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. but he has a substandard group of wide receivers. Now, mm-hmm. also if, true. if you gave him a healthy tight end in Philadelphia, along with Philadelphia's receivers, you think his stats would be better? I do. 
you gave Miami's receivers and Miami's oh. uh, tight ends that you think his stats would be better, more like Tua's? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, listen, he's making do with what he has, and he's smart. He realizes for the first time, perhaps, in his playing career in Kansas City, he has a defense. And that defense other words, won him the game. So don't screw it up. Frankfurt uh, right? the other day. That's the idea. Don't make the mistakes with turnovers. Don't keep the other team That's right. in the game. That's and right. that has become the primary well, methodology of quarterbacking. And, and to you, that you, measurement, Sandy, Allen... Allen has the 11 interceptions and other turnovers. 14 turnovers. And and uh, Russell Wilson's had his fumbles, too. But right. interceptions-wise, you know, touchdowns now at this point with 18. He is tied for third. Uh, Allen and to a tank of a love, 19. Uh, Cousins and Russell Wilson. Cousins, by the way, to speaking of how good his has year was going. A few weeks. Has 18. Uh, but when you're talking about the quarterbacks that have 110 or more pass attempts, only C.J. Stroud the rookie, has fewer interceptions than Russell Wilson. Well, so if that's the idea, 18 to 4, well, a 4 and a half to 1 ratio, you're sort of getting out of Russell Wilson what you kind of want out of Russell listen, Wilson. Uh, it, which you know, sounds bizarre, we, but maybe we, that's true. We've been on for 35 minutes, and I had to do a mea culpa, and, and you were right about this. You, you, you said it was not a given that Allen would play well last night. I think we both thought the Bills would generally play well. Uh, you were less um, convinced. I've about never been a hundred percent sold on Allen, and that's me. But Allen was bad. I he mean, was bad. he wasn't. He wasn't just. And now he was a victim on the first play of the game yes. when they fumbled it away. That had nothing to do with Josh Allen. But if you were to look at pass the, the, and they fumbled it away, you know, I, I don't think it's a good thing to do generally. And in, in teams where you have fifty-three guys on a on an active roster, but if you were to look at the player who was the most responsible for the loss for the Bills last night. It was Josh Allen. Well, it had to be. I'll tell you why. He was he was the, the guy that the was most guy, responsible for the loss. The other guy who fumbled. It wasn't Ken twice. Dorsey. Uh, well, we'll get into him in a minute. We'll get into him in a minute. Cook gets benched for three series. Right. Then he comes back and he's running like a madman. Twelve carries for 109 yards. So you can't really say Cook was the main culprit. No, because he he was he had over 100 yards rushing very, in the game yeah. on just 12 carries. The fumble was bad, but, but the rest of the game Allen, was really good. Allen was 15 of 26 for 177 yards. None of that's good. Two One touchdowns, two picks. That's bad. And the, uh, the and second a fumble rating 59.3. Abysmal. Which is quarter QBR of 27.1 is terrible. Yeah. And, and the other fumble in the game on the handoff. Was Zach Allen? It was uh, was pardon me, Josh Allen's fault. Well, was Josh Allen's fault? That Fortean slipped there with Zach Allen, who actually had a good game yeah. last night. But, it, but that was that Allen's was face Josh Allen's fault on that handoff. He well, of he course didn't it was. put in the right spot. Hey, so of course it was. So he's I, responsible I, I for three. I, I don't blame. Cook. He had an abysmal game. He was terrible. No, he, and, he was. He was. And I go back to my point made at the end of the show yesterday. More than 80% of the time, the quarterback with a passer rating that's better is on the winning side mm-hmm. in 2023, and that's generally been true. And that's in not even years, a stat in which you think that highly of passer rating. I, you but don't have to believe it, in passer rating, but when you talk about correlation with winning, it, I mean, if you could in advance no, decipher oh, yeah, you'd probably take that which bet. quarterback would have the better rating yeah. And bet that team. I'd take it every time. You'd you'd be, uh, I, I don't know how you'd be with respect to the point spread, but straight up on predictions, 
you'd be right well over 80% of the time. And if you took the Landry formula and somehow discerned which team would have more pass completions plus rushing attempts, right. which again massively favors Denver <laughs> last immensely. night, right? Uh, with all the running they did and the completion percentage, no, 24 out of 29 of Russell Wilson, yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. It, you'd be right more than 70% of the time, and at times close to 75% of the time you'd be right. So th- those are the things that I, I I think you need to look at. And, you know, the act of taking the ball away nine times in the last two games in and of itself makes the Broncos deserving winners of both those games. And even some of the weird stuff, we all remember 11 to 10 last year, right? right. The only 11 to 10 final score in the history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, last night we had an NFL first, but not a pro football first. Okay. I'll explain what I mean by that. All right. It was an NFL first because the score at halftime was 15 to 8. There had never been an NFL game with a halftime score of 15 to 8 before last night. But as mentioned on the telecast, it was the second 15 to 8 halftime score in the history of pro football. 62 years ago, a little more than that, September 10th, 1961, the Denver Broncos in their second season were in Buffalo playing the Bills. They were quarterbacked by Frank Trapuca with a couple of tosses from Gene Mingo you've, thrown in. You've got to be kidding And me. the Broncos in Buffalo were leading 15-8 to eight at the half. They won the game 22-10. to 10. This has happened twice. There was a 22 in the game last night, except there was the in losing history. Total. Happened twice in history. Right. It's been the Broncos, been the, the, Broncos Bills both times. the Bills both times. And they've won both times. So at least... and Mingo. Okay. Get this. Went 13-21 of 21 for 195 yards. Russell Wilson, 24-29 of 29 for 193 yards last night. And... uh some guy named Lionel Taylor, who in my mind is one of the top three, four receivers in the history of the Denver Broncos, that night or that day caught seven passes in old War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo for 132 yards and two touchdowns. He was the best player on the field by a mile. Um, the Bronco coach was Frank Filchok at the time. The Broncos were 3-11 and football team that year, but they won that game in Buffalo. Uh, and, of course, the great the story of that time is that uh, Frank Trapuca was originally brought to the Broncos not to play. His expectation was he was going to begin his coaching career. That's but the exactly Broncos right. did not have a better option. They and did it turns not. out, well, I guess you're not coaching yet, pal. Put the helmet back on. He went on and played a few more years, and he's in the Broncos. Frank Trapuca is one of the great football characters, too. Uh, I, I Kind of indirectly met him, not face to face, but uh, I I talked uh, I talked to him uh, uh, over the years. And uh, listen, uh, it's weird things happen in Buffalo. I I I, it's, I have covered Bronco Bills games in Buffalo. Um, I have seen uh, from 1979 on every game the Broncos have played, either in person or or watching it as I did last night on television. I've seen every game the Rocks have ever played in Buffalo. None was more bizarre than the game last night. Uh, none was filled with as much uh, buffoonery and bungling and bumbling as we saw last night but in Buffalo. The, but most of it was by the Bills, yeah. who were supposed to be not only the better team, but a Super Bowl contending team this year. And 
I think you now can safely take them off the list of Super Bowl contenders. Now, playoff contenders, I suppose there's a way, but their schedule generally is pretty tough. I think it's the third hardest schedule from here on out in the NFL. I don't see the Bills uh, making uh, the playoffs, but even if they do, uh, they won't be playing in Buffalo, and who knows, maybe for this weird Buffalo team, that's that's a good thing. We'll get to the Ken Dorsey business in just a few moments, but you are correct in that you lose a game because you have 12 men on the field on special teams. Yes. Your quarterback and turns the ball over three times. Your head coach is sort of the de facto involved in that. Yep. He's the de facto defensive coordinator. So when you're switching from defense from the line of scrimmage to field goal defense on special teams, you would think the head coach as the defensive coordinator and the special teams coordinator would be the two guys most responsible for their screwing up. And so they fired today the offensive coordinator, which in recent years has happened before. Say hello to Mike McCoy, the former two-time Denver offensive coordinator, who during, I believe, uh, a game in either 17 or 18, was the Cardinal coordinator, offensive coordinator under Steve Wilkes. And the Broncos went into Arizona, I believe, on a Thursday night and just waxed the Cardinals. And the next day, Mike McCoy got what Ken Dorsey got today. So the Broncos are good at getting other offensive coordinators fired when they beat those teams, if not those offensive coordinators. If you would have told me that after coughing up 70 points to the Dolphins that you'd eventually guess get this defense would get an offensive coordinator fired from anybody at any point... <laughs> You get an offensive coordinator, yeah, you would have, hey, uh, we'll double your salary. Yeah, I would not have believed you. How about that? We'll talk more about the Broncos. The Nuggets are in action tonight. The Avalanche got it done. We'll break it all down with you next on Mile High Sports. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, Nicola has to be ranked right up there. There's no question about it. And, and for me, my personal bias is that I'm a former ABA player. So the Denver Nuggets were the last team that we defeated in our run for the ABA title way back in 1976. So I still pull for the ABA teams. And uh, I was pulling for Denver big time last year. So you can tell that to Nicola. That is the voice of the one and only Dr. J. Dr. Julius J. Irving. You don't even need to say his name. It's just Dr. J. You know you're good in no part of your the actual doc. name needs said. Dr. <clears throat> J. The doc. So and there's nobody else who can be referred to that way other than Julius Irving. Speaking to uh, Nine News Aerial or Pseudo Up, that was over at the sideline of the Buffaloes game. Yeah, he, last, was, uh, uh, he, he was, was on the sideline. there yep. on Saturday. Yep. 
The Nuggets continue the in-season tournament uh, group play bracket, um, which happens uh-huh. to coincide with their regular season game against the Clippers tonight. Right. They, do, they do just happen. The court painted funny. You, yeah, again? you get the crazy court. So, so you get a crazy court. Yeah, you get a bonkers that court. That in one instance, the last three point week line was deemed unplayable. Yeah, the three point line wasn't measured correctly. I presume they'll. Well, that's right. That, but that but then time. the court was viewed as unplayable, so they had to change the court back to the regulation court. And you combine that with uh, the world's worst basketball, uh, manufactured by uh, a company that starts with W and. <laughs> Uh, continue. Tom Hanks I-L-S-O-N. yelled at. As, it was his only friend. His only friend in the island. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Worst basketball in creation. Yeah. I guess they'll have the crazy court tonight, but I don't think it will affect the outcome. No, it will not. The Clippers, by the way. James Harden will play badly on a bad court, too. Yeah, they have yet to win on the road. Uh, They have yet to win with James Harden on the team. Tyron Lue said that uh, the problem was that uh, Harden is being too polite. That was his words. (laughs) Too polite. Uh, He'll he'll learn. He'll learn when the day comes that James Harden gets him fired. He'll learn that uh, being too polite is not something normally associated with James Harden. Yeah, it's... uh, yeah, yeah, he is basically kind of a coach killer. And in this case with the Clippers, you know, he, and, and look, I, I don't pile on players who have never won titles because they, oh, I think it's very hard to win a title. Sure. But at the same time, when you keep leaving teams, now I think it's notable that you don't have a title because you keep leaving. And by the way, you keep leaving good teams. You left the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were pretty good, Right. Uh, you got to the Houston Rockets with Daryl Morey. With Daryl Morey, the Rockets became pretty good. Not ch- title contenders, but pretty good. Leaves there, goes to the Philadelphia 76ers. They have the MVP, certainly uh, title contenders. Pretty good. Yeah. None of those teams good enough for James Harden, and now he no, goes no, on no, to no. another really? team, into the Clippers, oh, who uh, were considered at least maybe a dark horse candidate, and then by ESPN's hilarious metric that we made absolute fun of, the second uh, the, that that occurred on the day of the trade. Uh, in theory, the, the team most likely to make it out of the Western Conference to the finals, that was always ridiculous. But the Clippers now 3-6, and 0-5 oh on the road, 0-4 oh with James Harden. The Clippers Harden. won't even make the play-in tournament. It's not looking like it. Well, I just don't understand. I, I One, I mean, thank you, Clippers. Thank you for basically just taking yourself out of the equation. That was handy. Uh, the, the Nuggets, of course, have a six-game home win streak going right now. And they're simply the better team by far, even without Jamal Murray. Right. So I, I think in this case, the Nuggets simply just need to take care of business. I, I don't want to put uh, too much pressure on it. It is just one of those games. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a conference game. I get it. They, they have importance for that. The in-season tournament stuff is neither here nor there. If, if you happen to get that, that's wonderful, whatever. Nikola Jokic right now is playing like a man possessed, which is funny because in sort of normal Nikola Jokic style, it sort of looks like he's just sort of meandering his way through basketball games. And then all of a sudden you look up and, oh, look what happened. Last three games, 35.3 points, 16 rebounds, 9.3 assists, 1.3 steals, and an averaging a block in his last three games and making it almost effortless. By the way, that loss on Sunday made him 
he and Oscar Robertson, as Dr. J sends Nikola Jokic's compliments, uh, he joins Oscar Robertson as only the two players in history that have had 10 or more career games of 35-plus points, 15-plus boards, and 10-plus yeah. assists. And by the way, Jokic would have had that only a couple nights prior, except he had nine assists. Right. Um, I, I've just, I, I every time know, I think there's another level, I'm not sure there isn't. It's I don't crazy. know that Oscar has been quoted uh, on Nikola Jokic, but uh, Oscar's general attitude about the game today I think would be uh, very much anti the James Harden style and very much in love with a guy who moves the ball and still scores and still shoots a high percentage, plays very efficiently. I would guess that Oscar, if asked about Nikola Jokic, would be very similar to Dr. J in his words about Nikola Jokic. And, of course, Dr. J uh, uh, probably pays more uh, often close attention to the Nuggets than Oscar Robertson does, but Oscar Robertson still watches basketball. Uh, it's hard to miss the two-time MVP, yeah. obviously. And it's... Uh, it just it's it's almost stunning. It becomes hard to put Jokic into proper perspective at this stage. And when you look at the Clippers right now, they just don't have anybody that can match up, even without Jamal Murray. Oh. To me, this feels like a blowout waiting to happen yeah. tonight. Well, and 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 the whole especially recent after losing history. to Houston, there's some frustration yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. The reason the history between the Nuggets and the Clippers is extremely one sided in the Nuggets' favor. Um, you know, and I. Yes, it's early in the season. We we played ten, 10 games, games yeah. nine games. Uh, I don't know if anybody's played eleven yet. I don't think so. Uh, it's it's generally either nine or ten games. Uh, I guess Chicago's played eleven. Uh, yeah, you're, but you're as early as it is, I I think you get a see. sense of the way teams are are going to be, and uh, this is. You know, the Nuggets would be similarly favored against Portland, San Antonio, Utah, Memphis uh, at this point, uh, probably New Orleans, uh, probably Phoenix, probably the Lakers. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Sacramento's interesting. They're playing without De'Aaron Fox, who is coming back either immediately mm-hmm. or very soon. And Sacramento's sixth in the West right now. They've gotten off to a 5-4 and four start, playing almost all their games without Fox. So... Golden State slumped off a little. They've they've lost a few at home, but and, boy, they're, and they're six and five now. But they we know they're good. Oklahoma City and Houston are in the same category. Up and coming young teams. Minnesota Minnesota seems the one to have solidified. Touch and I I I like Dallas, but I like Minnesota more. Believe it or not, on I the defensive too. end with people like McDaniel's and Nasri. And, and you've seen it already. Look, uh, out of Minnesota's seven wins, look look at four of them. Uh, Miami is one who they beat by 16 points, right? We know they smoked the Nuggets for their first loss of the yeah. year, and it wasn't even all that close. Uh, they beat Boston already. Yes. And they've beaten Golden State in Golden State. Yes. I don't think there's a team that They're has a good. more impressive. They're pretty good. If, if, we, yeah. if we were talking about this at 10 games and we're talking college football, everyone would be talking about your championship resume. I agree. Right? Uh, I, I agree with you. Look at those so wins. Far, there's been no team more impressive than Minnesota. They get now, Golden State make, again tonight, by the way. It doesn't make Minnesota the best team. I'm saying they've been more impressive you'd than be, you are, too. You'd be unwise to sleep on them. 
Put it that way. Oh, uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Towns. Towns seems like a different guy. Um, Connolly's solid, although limited at age thirty-seven. He's still a yeah, but he a, doesn't a make, smart he doesn't player. make mistakes, right? McDaniel's, who didn't play right. last year in the playoffs because he was hurt, mm-hmm. is an excellent defensive player. And you know, Gobert, if if they can keep all these guys healthy, you know, Gobert will step back. And he'll get you some rebounds, and he might block a shot every now and then, and, and and he's fine. And then you've got this extraordinarily talented young player in Anthony Edwards, right. who was what number one overall pick, number two overall one pick, o- number, like number one, then yeah. number one overall yeah. pick. I, I mean, everybody knows he's a great talent. Is he the smartest player in the league? Not yet, but he's more mature now than he was a year ago at this time. There's no doubt of that. And they are deep off the bench. They are. They are deep, and those are the teams that I think for the Nuggets are most dangerous. Yeah, because the Nugget bench right now, a fair assessment would be up and down. Yep, and it's based largely on youth, but also on the fact that in recent games, Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, who are basically slotted in as your sixth man and your second guy coming off the bench, your seventh man as it were, they haven't been very good the last two or three games. Uh, neither one of them has been particularly good. And now that Murray's hurt, Reggie Jackson isn't a bench player anymore. They've got him starting. So you're further thinning out the bench, and you're having to play Strother, who's going to be up and down, and uh, Najee, who's going to be up and down. And so they got exploited in Houston the other night. The Mm -hmm. difference in the game was that Houston had better bench Yeah, and you talk about that Minnesota bench. You haven't even mentioned one of our favorites here on this program, Nas Reed. Who's a oh, I did mention him. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I yeah. snuck a, him in. Okay, I, I missed he's, that. He's tremendous. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a really good player. He's as good a backup center the as there is in a league. They are deep. He's and actually a third-string center, and he's better than Gobert. But they've figured out with Gobert. Maybe even better than Towns in some areas. Maybe so. But they figured out with Gobert now to get him out, but the ability to, now they have one-on-one defenders, the ability to get Gobert out in space and break up well, the Well, yeah, he's, he's kind of the free safety now. Yeah. And they, and put, him on, that's a they put him on power forwards who don't score much. And he can freelance, and uh, that was especially effective against Denver recently. Nuggets and Clippers will start tonight. That's an 8 p.m. tip because it is on TNT this evening. We'll get back to the Broncos with Mile High Sports' Cody Rourke. We'll do that next. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests. Guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name.